everybody. Welcome to episode three of Neurological. I'm your host, Alex, and I'm here with my partner in crime and psychology, Tiana. All right, so what are we covering today, Alex? We would cover a specific missing persons case. A missing persons case. Is that um, common in podcasts? Um, I think it's pretty common in a lot of the true crime podcasts now. I feel like a lot of them, if they don't cover um, like a, a murder case, um, they tend to cover a missing persons case. Okay, so which one are you focusing on today? Is it something local, uh, something very common, well-known? Um, <clears throat> this one has made, I believe, national news, but um, it really hasn't been covered all that much other than local news. Um, even when it was covered on either state or national news, it really wasn't uh, covered that much. So it's going to be a little bit, it's technically a local case, um, but I think it deserves a little bit more coverage. All right, so should we go ahead and dive in and not leave people on the edge of their seat here? Sure. <laughs> so to give you a little background, um, this case takes place um, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Um, so it's a pretty, if you're not familiar with Lancaster County or Pennsylvania in general, uh, Lancaster County is pretty, it's pretty rural for the most part, a lot of farmland. Um, it's very famous for the Amish population here. Um, so horse and buggies, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but it also does have, um, a metropolitan area like a city, and then it does have a lot of suburban, uh, areas too. It's about two hours west of Philadelphia, two hours north of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and I just want a, a disclaimer here that um, we're going to talk about this case. It's an ongoing case. Um, so the people that are involved are not considered guilty at this point. Um, they're not guilty until they're proven in a court of law. So a little bit about the background of this case. Um, about four months ago, actually, now, um, we're coming up on the four months. Um, on Sunday, June 21st, um, at about 9 o'clock in the morning, um, a woman named Linda Stoltzfoots, um, it's a very Amish um, name, is very common around here. <clears throat> she went, um, she was on her way from church services, she did <clears throat> every Sunday, um, and at approximately 12.30pm, uh, she left the church and she started to walk home. It's only about a mile from the church to her home. Um, and when she was doing, when she was making that short little trip back, um, she went missing at about 12.42. Um, so in those 12 minutes, um, sh she was suspected to be taken by somebody, um, which we'll talk about later, a little bit more details. But um, she, went, she went missing in that time. She never returned home that evening, um, and her father ended up reporting her uh, to the local police department. Um, later that evening. The next day, they already started a search for her, um, so volunteers began searching the area for her, and then by Wednesday of that same week, the FBI had joined in on the search for her. Uh, the vehicle that was seen in the footage um, around the area that she went missing was identified by the local authorities as a man named Eusto Smokers. Um, it was his vehicle. Two days later, the FBI offered a $10,000 reward 
um, for information that would lead to the finding of Linda. And then early on July 11th, uh, Mr. Smoker was uh, charged in connection to her disappearance. Um, he was 34, he's 34 years old, and he is charged with a felony um, count of kidnapping and a count of false imprisonment. Um, he has been denied bail because of his suspected connection to the case um, and his role. Um, he denies being in the area by police and then um, recanted that once he was shown evidence that he was in the area by video footage. Um, so even though they had him on video, he still was denying it at first. He had him on, he was in his car, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was driving his car. He had become a suspect after some witnesses have reported seeing a red or orangish vehicle. Um, so that's the car you're talking about, Tiana. And it had, uh, people had said that they had seen an Amish woman get into it. Um, and people in the area are familiar with um, the dress um, of Amish people. Um, and it was odd for them to see someone in a car like that um, driving down the road. So that kind of caught their attention. And then Smoker was arrested um, at his workplace. Um, which is a, a water processing plant um, called Dutchland Incorporated, which is about 12 miles um, southeast of the area that she was seen. Um, and then also on July 10th, clothing that was believed to belong to Linda, including, including a bra and stockings, was found buried several, several inches below the ground. Um, not even in that same area, but near another location um, on Harvest Drive in the area. His vehicle was seen to was seen at and near the ad, that address on June twenty third. So he his car was seen uh, near where the clothing was found. On July thirteenth, uh, volunteer searches have stopped at this point, and all future searches were supposed to be conducted by law enforcement personnel only. And then on Thursday, July 16th, pictures of his red Kia Rio were posted in hopes of getting additional tips from the public. Um, his vehicle does have a specific sticker on the back, which is an LCM, which is uh, Lancaster County Motor um, Company. The hearing is held on August 5th. So that was when we were talking about preliminary hearings last week. Um, they did hold the hearing and it was about two and a half hours long. The charges are held meaning that they are, are ready, for, are going to go to the higher court um, for a trial. And his formal arraignment was set for August 28th, which has occurred um, and has since uh, they've set a date for his trial. Um, during the hearing, additional information became more public, including that there was a red zip tie also found near the location uh, where the clothing was found. A little bit about the the case um, to that point. Really, I mean, this was that's kind of based on my blog post from August, and in the two months since then, uh, there's really been no no updates on the case. Are you aware of whether or not there were any witnesses beyond having that surveillance uh, footage? Were there any witnesses that came forth? 
none are really discussed. Um, the preliminary hearing would have been the time that they could have called some of the witnesses, but they didn't mention any in the news reports that I had read through. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, that they had the witnesses prior to, like they said that they saw an Amish woman get into the vehicle, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, I just thought about what you said uh, with people being familiar with the type of dress um, that people in the Amish community will wear. But then you think about the geographic location of where she went missing, and it is very, we'll say close-knit. I would imagine that everyone who is on that street knows who's to be on that street. So um, even that, I would just be curious to hear if there is uh, like any eyewitness testimony. But to that point, to the point of eyewitness testimony, um, I know you've talked before, not not on the podcast, but just in our conversations about the accuracy of eyewitness testimony. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so eyewitness testimony, it's kind of like a, a weird um, relationship that it's very often used, but it's very often incorrect. Mm-hmm. So it's used a lot because it's, I mean, you can go to a lot of situations and say, you know, did anyone see what happened? And if it's something public, of course, there's going to be some witnesses around, whether they saw something or not, that will come forward and, and talk about it. But a lot of the time, um, there's flaws in our memory, and people will remember things completely inaccurately, or they'll miss details. Um, and it's not by any fault, like, it's not, I'm not saying people do it intentionally, but everyone can probably think of an example of where you're out, you know, going on a walk and someone says, do you remember what the color of that mailbox was six houses back? And you probably weren't paying attention to it. If you were, that's awesome. You're one of those witnesses that could be helpful for it. But, um, a lot of the times we don't pay attention to those details because it's not relevant to us. But like you said, in that situation, people would probably remember the car because they're so familiar with the area and who's on their street, that kind of thing. But other than that, I don't know how much they would be able to recall. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing with um, <clears throat> our witness testimony, too, is that there can be that confirmation bias. So as soon as the police revealed uh, that the, the car was seen on the road, then I'm sure it clicked in a lot of people's minds, oh, yeah, I did see a car, because your mind, your brain tries to fill in those gaps and says, yeah, you did, even though... You might have seen a car, you might have seen a Kia Rio, but it might have been black, or mm-hmm. it might have been blue, or it could have been a truck. Yeah, or every red and reddish-orange car that you saw that day mm-hmm. now becomes his car, mm-hmm. whether it was or, what, or whether it wasn't. Um, yeah, yeah this, this case is just particularly unique because of that element of an Amish woman inside of a car on a very rural farmland kind of road mm-hmm. yeah and one of the things though about this case um so there's so much when we release missing persons cases um a lot of the times we'll use like some identifier about the person and we'll say like missing mother of three or missing father or we'll use some identifier as if just saying a missing person is not enough um and in this case they've kept they continuously say missing Amish woman. 
Um, and that's actually one thing that I avoided saying in my, in the blog post about it. Um, because I don't, I don't want people to narrow their thinking on, it's just like, that's what we're looking for as an Amish woman, because really she may not look like an Amish woman to other people. Um, they're actually, they had suspected that she had changed her clothing, um, or he could have changed her clothing. Mm -hmm. Well, and they did a really good job with that on the flyers that went around, giving a picture of what she looks like wearing the Amish clothing and what she would suspected to be look like, what she is suspected to look like in traditional traditional clothing. clothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they did release both of those. Um, that kind of that kind of helps broaden your what you're looking for because mm -hmm. I think if people really are only looking for what they envision as the Amish, like a stereotype, unfortunately, it's not, it might not help. Mm -hmm. Well, and I like how you pointed out talking about putting that identifier to it, because I think a lot of times putting that identifier makes you quicker to judge. So for her, if you read through different social media comments and uh, comments on the news articles, it was, well, she left the Amish community. Like, very, very harsh critical judgments. We know nothing about this woman, her family, her community, her culture. So those judgments were quick to be passed. And then you think about, you know, missing mother. Well, she's just tired of all the demands of being a mom. Mm -hmm. uh, missing husband. Well, he's, he's sick of his wife, so he left. Um, of course, it doesn't always happen that way, but I think it makes it easier for us to judge why they might be missing and kind of victim blame, which is not always the best. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you put it that way, that they use it in a negative way. Um, but I've also heard it used the other way, where they'll purposely say missing mother of three instead of just saying missing woman because they think that can actually garner some sympathy mm -hmm. um, from the public and they it makes people care more. Yeah. Um, you tend to see them use that like missing mother of three and then if a, a, a male goes missing unfortunately they may not use that same kind of terminology mm -hmm. they may just say you know missing 40 year old guy or yeah. missing 40 year old man you try to use it to get the emotional connection yeah i unfortunately okay. just went the negative nelly <laughs> route with it that's okay <laughs> it, i mean it definitely can go either way i just know you saw a lot of that and still do with her case you know, she left. She's out sitting on a beach. I mean, that's just horrible Yeah. to say that. Yeah, her her family has not heard a single thing about, you know, her whereabouts in four months at this point. So. so I think we could also talk a little bit about... I don't want to focus a lot on him, um, the defendant smoker, just because I want this to be more about her. But I think if you and I are going to kind of discuss our perspectives on the case, like what might have happened, what might be going on, where is it going to go, um, I think people need to know a little bit more about uh, Smoker himself. Um, so he's from the area. Um, he was actually, he was adopted um, at the age of seven. And him and his brother actually, um, a couple of years ago, were uh, charged with... Um, several robberies at different stores in the area. Um, actually, a string of robberies. 
um, in 2006. Can you just, because there's different definitions for robberies, burglaries, can you give, like, your own conceptualization of what is a robbery, what constitutes a robbery? So in in this case, that's a good point, it's a broad term, but in this case, they went into the store, him and his brother went into the store with loaded BB guns, um, so they weren't actual firearms, but still, you know, BB guns can cause uh, some damage to people too, um, or property. But they went in with these loaded BB guns, and um, they actually took things from the store. Mm-hmm. Um, so the it was an armed, technically an armed robbery, I would say. Just was with a BB gun instead of uh, a firearm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they did multiple stores. Um, from that those crimes they both pled guilty uh to the charges and smoker so the the defendant in this case in the uh, missing persons case um he was sentenced to 12 and a half to 30 years in prison for his role so this was in 2006 2006 again actually released in february of 2019 um so he served just about what, 13, yeah, 13 years. Um, so he served about his minimum, which would kind of, he's would technically still be on parole um, at this point when he was arrested. Um, and then his brother was released in 2016. Um, so he was actually released sooner than um, Yusto was. But that's a little bit more about, just about him. Mm-hmm. When you had previously mentioned to me your your thoughts on perhaps interviewing the brother. Do you know if that happened? So they haven't interviewed the brother yet. Um, they had committed those, uh, technically, those would be violent, you know, person crimes. Um, it immediately stuck out to me because I just would assume, um, and of course when you assume things, it's not al- it doesn't always mean it's accurate, but from my best judgment, it would say that you know, him and his brother commit crimes together, or they at least are close enough, um, they're only two years apart, uh, would do something together like this and rely on each other. So I know that they didn't, I don't know if they interviewed him yet, but I do know that they were trying to search his phone, the brother's phone, because of um, the text messages that they were sending back and forth that day that uh, Linda went missing. Mm-hmm. I think he, he's a... A critical uh, part of this case the the older brother um, that's in in prison he's been sitting there for you know almost three months really and w- you would think that at this point they'd have more information from him but they don't um, or at least they haven't released it or been able to use any of it mm-hmm. to actually help the case yeah one to shift back to Linda and and the community as a whole, Lancaster community, the Amish community, the state, the country, any level that you want to look at there. Um, how would you instill hope for those people? And I'm not saying instill hope for the the best outcome, but just instilling hope to make it through and persevere and push through while there are so many questions unanswered. I think just recognizing that they've already done a lot of work um, as a community and 
the fact that, I mean, they were out there searching the next day, fell into that trap of, oh, maybe she just left, or maybe she just went away or something. They were, no, you know, we need to, we need to find her. Something's not right. I think maybe one of our best things that we can do, too, is this is coming more so from a personal perspective. Spend a little time researching the Amish community and their culture so that if you do want to lend support, you do it in a way that's actually meaningful and impactful for them and not something that's going to cause them more distress than support. So, you know, at the very least, what we could do is just try to learn more. That's a good point. Just an important detail is that she went missing within a 20-minute window, um, which is extremely short uh, in terms of the time you leave one place and you're going to another place and you're walking, and in those 20 minutes, you're, you're gone. Mm-hmm. You're not seen again. Um, and really in plain view, right? Yeah, on the street. Yeah. She was walking down a... And to kind of discredit some of the, the stereotypes about Amish areas, this area is... Yeah, it's farmland, but it's, it's traveled. Um, Lancaster County in general, there, like I said, there's farmlands, but a lot of the roads, um, unfortunately for the Amish, have actually kind of gone through their communities, and our roads kind of go through their communities, so we kind of would pass all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very public. Do you think it kind of also squashes that um, notion that you're going to be taken at midnight in a dark alley you know like these things can happen in plain view and plain sight I mean the location where she was taken you could probably see her from the church she was at Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was just maybe nobody was looking at that time yeah it was only about a mile stretch Mm -hmm. so you figure when you're standing outside on a road you can easily see a mile down a road if it's a straight enough road mm-hmm. um, and there's no coverage. But yeah, it's at the, in the middle of the day too, 12, 12.42. Um, so yeah, broad daylight. Um, now, there was some sus- like suspicion that he's related to her in some distant um, way. Mm-hmm. I do remember hearing that. Not that it... It doesn't really make a difference. (laughs) No, and I don't know if they were trying to make that connection because the whole idea of, like, a stranger taking someone versus, well, it's usually someone you know kind of idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I I think either way at this point, he's a suspect, so they need to to find out more. Um, I don't know if that's the information that they really need. I mean, I think... If he was technically on parole, I think they really should have, they should or should have interviewed his parole officer, um, because he's really supposed to be checking in with him mm-hmm. every so often, or that officer every so often. Um, they've used cell phone data, they've used video surveillance, they've used witness testimony, all at this point. Um, I think they just need that extra interviewing information, the clothing information, so, lots of information thrown out there about this case. It's my understanding you want to try to continue covering this as more 
updates become available. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely something I want to keep following. Mm -hmm. I think it's one that it's going to go on for a while. Yeah. And it's important to keep talking about it too. One of my biggest pet peeves is that phrasing, like, we'll never forget, we'll never forget. And then, you know, a couple months down the road, nobody's talking about it. And you still see the flyers here and there, but it's definitely not as um, publicly discussed as it was a few weeks ago or a few months ago. So continuing on with trying to educate people about what is happening in that case and, you know, what others might be able to do to help if there is anything, I think is an important role that we have as her community members. Yeah, I mean, I think we owe... She's she's missing. She's missing four months at this point. You know, she deserves to be found um, in whatever capacity that means. Um, the family deserves to have some answers. Um, the community deserves to have answers. And then also, I mean, what does this mean in terms of future cases? If this were unfortunately to happen again to another person, you know, we need to to really understand what's going on here so that we can kind of try to reduce the likelihood that this will happen again mm -hmm. or that it would happen and four months go by and we still don't know yeah. what's happened. There's that prevention brain at work for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Any last thoughts or conclusory statements? Um, I think I, I do like to do the whole, like, provide contact information so that if anyone happens to be listening to this and they have information that they want to share with um, the proper people. Um, so the Pennsylvania State Police are really the head. You can call them. Um, so you can call them at 717-299-7650. Um, they're the main people you can contact. You can also contact the FBI and provide tips there. So you can call them at 1-800-225-5324. Um, if you're within the area, you could call the East Lampeter Township Police Department, and that would be 717-291-4676. Thanks for providing that. It's, that's some good action planning. All right, so then to close up these last two weeks, what's been going on for you as far as things you're reading, things you're watching, uh, maybe any new podcasts or specific podcast episodes that you've listened to that you want to share with listeners? Um, happy to report that I am still reading that same book. <laughs> uh, but I have progressed through the, ch the chapters, um, so that's good. Uh, making some progress. Chapter three now instead of two. No, chapter two now. So, no. <laughs> um, so that yeah, I'm good with that with reading. I did watch Netflix. Um, I watched actually you watched too the the Chris, Chris Watts, Watts case. Um, I thought that was a lot of like good footage, obviously, um, from the actual case. Um, we watched that Lifetime one. Mm -hmm. Um, it was actually, the Lifetime one was pretty accurate. Yeah. Considering what we just saw on the Netflix one. I'd say the, the Netflix one was a bit milder. Um, the Lifetime one, there, there could have been some trigger warnings on that one. So yeah, if it was... is something that you're interested in, uh, watching or learning more about, but you want that mild version, the Netflix one is a good one. Yeah. The Lifetime one was definitely more graphic. Yeah. 
Yeah, reenactment of some scenes. Yeah. Which maybe isn't always appropriate, but it got the message across. Yeah. Um, podcast, I'm still... I'm actually listening to um, Dialogue a lot more. Um, so I've been listening to her season two work. And she's doing a lot of Injustice versus Justice episodes. So the one I had listened to involved um, Rudolph. Um, was the attorney that she had interviewed on the one. He's from, he represented Michael Peterson in the Staircase case, but he started a new podcast himself called Abuse of Power, and that's all about how people are wrongfully convicted and um, that those kinds of cases. Huh. So I've been listen, listening to her. Yeah, sounds pretty interesting. And she sent you some merch a little while ago, right? She did, yeah, for um, me featuring her on, on the blog. Yeah, that's cool. It's very cool. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode three. Obviously, this will be one that we're going to check in with um, as it progresses. Yeah. Go check out Neurological's uh, recent posts for Turning Leaf's merch that just came out and is starting to, to be delivered for people who have ordered it. So we got ours today, and that was great. It was a nice surprise on a Monday. Yeah. Sources for today's episode include Lancaster Online articles, the Pennsylvania UJS docket system, an article by Janet Kelly and Abigail King authored about this case. Remember, Neurological is a true crime podcast to be psyched about. <laughs>